Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Menninger, certified financial planner, founder and owner of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Uh, I am really delighted with today's guest. Um, yeah, other than your house, in most cases, people's largest purchase that they make during the course of their lifetime is a car. And unlike a house, you're probably going to do this probably every five to ten years. Hopefully you don't do this with your house every five to ten years. So who I have here with me today uh, has a rather interesting history of being on all sides of the coin, so to speak. And because of the fact that he's retired, he doesn't have to worry about uh, saying anything bad about any particular dealer or industry. So. Today, I would like to welcome a gentleman who I respect and have loved for many years, Ed Bernhardt. Ed, thank you very much for coming on my show. Thank you, Mike. I've known you since March 5th of 2002, and you probably find that hard to believe. You know, most people look at me and, like, can't imagine the way I am remembering numbers, okay? <laughs> but I've known you since then, and um, you know your history better than I. All I know is... And I don't even know. I think when we met first, either you were working at a dealership in Paoli, but I know at one point in time you owned your own used car lot, and after that you went over to, I won't say the name of the dealership because I don't know if it's the right thing to do or not on mm -hmm. TV, but a dealership over in Paoli that sold both new and used cars, right? That's accurate. So do me a favor. So since I have no idea, and I should, but since I have no idea of your exact history, and you're also an accountant, right? That's correct. By, by education. By education. So um, tell me what you did in your lifetime, so to speak. Um, in the beginning. In the beginning. <laughs> now, as it pertains to, to, to your, what's your experience with this? All right. Uh, when I got out of college, um, I went to work for a Fortune 500 industrial gas producer. And Gasoline or? No. Natural industrial gas. Industrial gases. Oh, industrial gases. Okay. Right. And five years later, kind of stumbled into the car business. Really? And I don't know how I got there, but I did. Um, over, and then I, I spent 38 years in the, uh, in the car business in various capacities, uh, the last one being as a dealer. Right. But in the dealership, um, were you selling cars or were you just the finance guy? Uh, well, I held, I was a sales manager at one point. I was an F&I manager at one point. F&I? Finance and insurance. Okay. The guy who sets up the loans and the leases for customers right, right, buying right, cars. Right, right. Um, I was company controller um, since the, you know, the accounting background kind of fit. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, of course. So that's me. So like, and, and I tell you what, I and probably everybody hates buying a car. And I don't mind buying a car. I love buying a car. I hate dealing with the car salesman. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and I am probably <clears throat> in the norm. Would you agree? No, absolutely. Because I'm not good at haggling and all that fun stuff. Now, it's funny because then when I go to the, buy the car, then the guy says, hang up, I got to get up and go back. And he goes back. You're probably one of the people he goes back and talks to. He probably goes back and has a cigarette and you know, shoots the breeze, has a cup of coffee and laughs with the next guy. But... Um, you filled all those roles. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, 
I'm just I'm perplexed because I think everybody has a lot of the same questions that I have is do you buy used or do you buy new and if you buy used do you buy off a lot or do you buy from a dealership mm -hmm. and if you buy new do you buy it do you lease it do you buy it from the dealership? Do you come in with your own loan? There's all kinds of stuff that I think you could help me. And if you're helping me, you certainly help the viewers know. Okay. So tell me your experience. Let's just start. Give me the background. So when you owned your own dealership for mm -hmm. how many years? 15. 15 years. So what were you doing? Were, were people coming to your lot to buy cars? Or were you going to the big auctions like Mannheim and what have you? Well, both. Uh, I, part of the time, I had a retail facility and a wholesale facility. Okay. And in the last few years, I concentrated on wholesale. Which is what? In, um, in your industry? It, it, something that, that most people never see. Um, you're a dealer. You're a Buick dealer. Mm -hmm. And you trade, pick a, pick a car, Mercedes-Benz you probably, as a Buick dealer, don't have much of a market for a Mercedes. Right, I don't want that car. I don't want that. But I want to make sure, I want to sell you a Buick, Mr. De Mr. Customer. And, and you achieve that. But once you, as the dealer, take possession of this Mercedes-Benz that you really don't want in your inventory, you have to find somebody to buy it. That somebody is a wholesale dealer in Pennsylvania. Okay. That was me. So what do you do with the car now? Do you turn around and put that car on your lot, or do you, I always call it lipstick on the pig, you clean it up and you detail it and you vacuum it and you mm -hmm. clean off the engine, and then you try to sell it to somebody else? Do you take it to the, to the what do you do with it? can do a couple of things, but what I preferred to do with it is put it through a reconditioning process. And reconditioning is mechanical, it's cosmetic, uh, whatever the car needs to be in tip-top condition for a future retail buyer. Right. And most often, uh, I used the dealer-only auctions because... That's like your Mannheims. As Mannheim, right. okay. exactly. Uh, and Mannheim's an auction that's all, literally all over the world at this point. But Is it? It's, it started in Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Okay. The, uh, and, and I used the auction process because I could have buyers from all over the world, literally all over the world. Uh, really? And, you know, the Mercedes dealer in Southern California might think my Mercedes is just right and he's going to buy it and ship it to California. Really? However, the Mercedes dealer locally may already have enough. He doesn't need any. Right. But when I put that car in the dealer-only auction, it's cleaned, it's properly serviced, it has brand new and legitimate Pennsylvania inspection, it has a clear title in my dealership name, and it is ready for the dealer to whom I sell it, to take it to his facility and sell it the next day. Right. Okay. Good. Good. That. And so, who, there's got to be money made. So, you're the wholesaler. You bought <clears throat> it off the Buick dealer. Right. You cleaned it up and made it look pretty. It's not just that. It's mechanical as but well. That too. Okay. And, and, and body work, if necessary. But 
you have to have, during your lifetime, bought losers. Absolutely. That's a risk. Absolutely. So the risk basically is if you buy a loser, you, it gets absorbed, which means that you have to kind of step up the cost. So what is the typical profit? So you bought this used vehicle that turned into Mercedes. Mm -hmm. You cleaned it up. And then there's a cost, the cost of the purchase, the cost of the cleanup. Mm -hmm. What is your goal for resale? Is it a percentage profit or is it a dollar amount profit? Uh, you could say both, but if I was operating at an 8% gross profit, uh, I was doing just fine. Okay, $10,000 car, you're selling at 10800 Uh-huh. Okay, that's not a lot. No, it's not. Uh, however, you do volume. You what? You do volume. And right, there, okay. And there are those cars that surprise you. Um, one car comes to mind, it was a... Uh, a chrome yellow Corvette that one of my regular dealers called me in a snowstorm on Christmas Eve and said, I need to trade this. Will you buy it at a given price? I said, yes. That car then got put in my inventory for five months. I sold it at auction in May of the following year for the best part of a 50% gross profit. It was a 50% gross profit? Yes. Oh, that's not bad. No. 50. I was expecting you to say... No, no, not 100%, but a 50% gross profit on a used car is obscenely large. Yeah, well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> obscenely been... large with a smile on your face Absolutely. from your ear. Absolutely. But the point being, on average, when it's all said and done, I was operating at about an 8% gross and it worked. It allowed, okay. me, it allowed me to... You gotta, you know, again, everything is relative. You've got to be running enough through to be able to make $800 per or 8% work. Absolutely. So if I'm going to be looking for a used car, mm -hmm. am I going to get a better deal from a private place or a dealership? When you say a private place, place you mean a non-franchise non dealer? Yeah, some... I, I, that, that, there is no good answer to that. Just because a dealer is non-franchised does not mean he's fly by night. a fly-by-night, a shyster, whatever. Right. He is most likely an experienced professional. Right. And he may not be able to offer some of the bells and whistles, I mean, in terms of facility mm -hmm. uh, that a franchise dealer may, but he picks his cars carefully, and he knows his local market, mm -hmm. uh, and he's probably a graduate of one of the fr local franchise dealers, right. who, and he learned his trade at the expense of the franchise dealer, or he may Do have, you I think you generally get a better deal through the non-franchise as opposed to a dealership? No. So then why do I want to go there as opposed to the dealership? Because the non-franchise dealer has what you want at a price you want to pay. And... Well, I thought you said it's not a better deal than the dealership. It may or may not be. I can't tell you that. It, it could be or it could not be. Yeah. <clears throat> so let's go to the dealership now. Um, 
I'm going to go on this one because because we're bumping up on break already pretty soon here. Okay. Um, I'm thinking about the whole month-end quota. I, mm -hmm. I just, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, you know, so I don't know enough about it, but I always hear on the outside mm -hmm. that if you're going to buy a car, you buy it at the end of the month mm -hmm. because they're trying to push stuff out and there's all kinds of incentives to, mm -hmm. to, to push inventory out. There's sales incentives to the sales guys. Tell me about it. Is uh, it real? It can be. It can be. Uh, it's common enough to find uh, dealership activity right in the last few days of the month at a, at a real peak. However, at least some of those transactions have been in process for perhaps weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, what, whatever transaction is done by a dealer, somewhere in that transaction there's profit. Of course. Somewhere. And that somewhere could possibly be an example. Uh, the factories give dealers incentives if they sell, say, 38 Cadillacs this month. So at the end of the month, they're trying to hit that 38 number because they will get money back from the factory. Right. And if they've already sold 37, and that 38th means Five thousand or ten thousand dollars coming in from the factory, they will discount it a bit. They'll do something to get that thirty-eighth Cadillac sold. So that's the dealership programs. Right. But I was thinking more in the lines of the salesmen's incentives. Okay, the salesmen. Bear in mind that the salesmen are constantly under pressure to produce, and if they don't produce on a regular basis. Uh, and the, the accounting comes at the end of each month. If they don't produce on a regular basis, they're going to be without a job. Right. Uh, so, again, you have a salesman who's at the end of, a, you know, a, of an accounting period of a month, and he is one or two deals short of his goal that month. Mm -hmm. He's going to work hard on the sales manager. But how are they compensated? Are they commission only? No. Uh, that used to, in the bad old days, that was common. It was strictly commission. And then it became a matter of some smallish regular salary plus commission. Okay. That's why the deal, I mean, if, if it's commission only, who cares if they don't do Yeah, exactly. There's no overhead for the dealer. Right. But the idea that, okay, it's harder and harder and harder to attract younger folk to a sales floor if they don't have any idea what they're going to make. It's also harder. Right. So they got to put food on the table of some they gotta sort. They got to put food on the table. So they need a guarantee of some sort and then incentives on top. And you see more you see some changes among dealer pay plans that go something like You'll have a salary that's maybe not the greatest, but it's it's livable. Mm -hmm. And then you have incentives placed on of top. Of course, of course. But it's more and more a situation where you have a a halfway livable salary, so that you can actually attract competent people to well, the industry. To. You, you have, have to. Leasing a car. Okay, this is, I'm going to tell you my understanding because if my understanding is wrong, I want to know. Okay. 
if I'm leasing a car, basically I am buying a new car, they're valuing it as to what the resale value would be in three years, let's say. That's called a residual. Right. And if theoretically the new car value is 50000 and the resale value or the residual value is 30000 mm -hmm. assuming the number of miles, then I'm basically paying $20,000 for a car for three years. Uh, the answer is no. Really? Because the window sticker on the car uh, is the basis for calculating depreciation. Okay, the $50,000. Okay, the $50,000 down okay. to your okay. number of $30,000. However, the capitalized cost of the lease, which means that here's a car with a, stick, uh, a window sticker of $50,000, but you really buy it, or the leasing company really buys it. For $45,000. Okay, so in other words, I'm only paying $15,000 for three years. Uh, that is correct. Okay. So the oh, yeah, you can look at it that it, way. Yeah, I'm paying yeah. $15,000, and then what they do is they create a loan in the form of 2 or 3%, and that's my payment for three years. Basically, a $15,000 loan for three years at 3%. That's, a, that's an easy way to look at it. So you always hear that the moment you drive a car off the lot, you just lost 10% of its value or something like that, right? You, that is absolutely correct. Right. So whether, whether it's 10% or 5%, you lost some percentage. Correct. It's the person, so, so me, my philosophy on buying cars is I buy that car off lease. Mm -hmm. Because I just bought that $50,000 car that's three years old for approximately half of the original window sticker. Approximately. 60% basically is what I paid. And I did this two times in a row and I'm like, this is a smart idea. Yeah, I fine. bought a three-year-old car with 13,000 miles on it. I stepped foot in that car. I'm telling you, it was a brand new car mm -hmm. and it was a nice car. Mm -hmm. It was a nice car that I paid less than what I would have paid for a new car of significantly lower quality. That's probably true. Three years from now, I turn that car in, and, and I'm a fan of the Japanese cars. Shame on me because I buy U.S., but except for cars. Um, the resale value in three years is not going to be that much. So if I look at that lease that I'm paying however much for three years, mm -hmm. the amount of money that I pay between what I paid for the three-year-old car and the six-year-old car, that depreciation is substantially less. It is. The, de the vehicles depreciate at their greatest rate typically in the first three years of, of being on the road. On the value, of its value. But yes. if you get a vehicle that is historically known for either living a long life mm -hmm. or having a great resale value, mm -hmm. then you're almost better served buying the used. Many people are. Yeah. Many but, people. But there are people who, for good reason, salesmen who are on the road, mm -hmm should always want to be able to display a new car. Or they simply have predictable driving habits and they want to drive the, the latest and the greatest and they want to have the best part of the service life of the car and that's obtained typically in the first three to four years. Right. And a lease will give you three or four years of 
the best part of the service life of that car. In other words, what, you don't need repairs other than changing the oil and maybe the tires. You change the oil and you rotate the tires and you make sure you have brake pads and you're there. Right. You, you don't have, you have minimal maintenance and virtually no repairs because that car is under factory warranty for the entire time it's you're driving it in a lease. Interesting. Interesting. So you, you bring up a great question that I never know the answer. And as a financial planner, you always kind of lean towards being protective. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm buying a new car, right? they always say, do you want to buy the maintenance package or the, the, the whatever it is that costs like $1,000? Uh, the, the extended service plan. The extended service the, warranty. Thank the, you very much. Right. You guys make warranty. a lot of money on that thing, don't you? Um, it's an insurance they, policy. They, it's, it's an insurance policy, although at least in the state of Pennsylvania, it's not, it's not called insurance and it's, it's not controlled by the Pennsylvania Insurance uh, sure, uh, Commission. Sure, but but it, it, it functions as an insurance policy. It's exactly what it does. And so who makes the money on that? Does the dealership make the money on it or you get a little bit of a commission of selling? And is it a third party that actually insures it? You call it, I'm calling it the warranty, we're calling it insurance, you know, you can call it what you want to call it. But that's what it is, it's an insurance policy. It's a third party and it could be, let's assume you're a Ford dealer, Ford Motor Credit will offer extended service plans okay. supported by or backed by Ford. Or you can have an extended service plan that is backed by some independent. Right. They can be equally good or equally bad. Right. Well, insurance companies are in business to make money. Well, they're in, they're in business, and I, I, this is a joke, but they're in business to collect premium. They're not in business to pay claims. Oh, uh, that's not a joke. That's the truth. Okay. Yeah. So in your opinion, is it worth it? Some of it's psychological. Uh, in days gone by when cars were not of the quality that they are today, they were more appropriate. But in today's world, you think in terms of a car that has 50,000 miles on it is still under original factory warranty if it's within five years right. old. Uh, and it's very common to have cars last 10 or 15 years with reliable with reliability of, you know, it, for 150 or even 200,000 miles. Right. These are good cars. Right. Unlike the cars that maybe you and I learned to drive on. Right. They were not so good cars. Right. Uh, more interesting maybe, but not so good cars. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I'm fine in that. And so, but, you know, it, it's, it's like with any insurance policy that you ever get, mm -hmm is you hate paying the premiums. Right. But if you ever need to file a claim, mm -hmm. no one is ever overinsured. That's correct. So I, I'm guessing that, um, it, you're right, it's, it's a sense of how do I feel about it? Well, and, there's, there, there's another factor, and that is the, the area of um, the, the, the uh, what do I want to say here? Um, the, the used car that is a uh, certified pre-owned car. Okay. Okay. A certified pre-owned car, at least in I'm glad theory, you brought that up. is a car that has been very thoroughly inspected right. by a dealer, mm -hmm. okay, right. using the manufacturer's certification right. process. Correct. 
And then attached to it is an extended service plan or an extended warranty, use whatever term you like. That actually I like because I could be buying a lemon otherwise, and it's almost kind of creating lemon proof. It, it, it reduces the risk. There's Significantly. No um, so if you can believe this or not believe this, we're almost out of time here. Huh? Uh, do me a favor. Sure. Give me something that we didn't touch upon okay. that you think the viewer would benefit from with your knowledge and history. All right. One, one uh, in the past, cars that have been through automobile auctions have had something of a, uh, they haven't been looked on favorably. And the fact of the matter is that car, automobile auctions, and I'm referring strictly to the dealer-only auctions, where no public pe person is, is they're allowed. They're looked at unfavorably? Yeah, they, in the past, have been looked at unfavorably because it's an auction car. Right. And dealer auctions are nothing more than a venue to trade inventory. Right. And Unload inventory as it may pertain. But well, yeah. an, an example might be the, you know, the, the, the Ford dealer out in a rural area trades the Mercedes-Benz that we talked about earlier. And he'd rather have a couple of used F-150s and maybe a Right, a okay, I got you. Meanwhile, the Mercedes dealer wants that Mercedes because, you know what, I, have, I could use that. Exactly. So That's the Ford dealer takes the Mercedes to the uh, dealer-only auction sells it, and he stands in the lane and, and buys a couple of F-150s from the Mercedes dealer who traded Fords. Right, because he doesn't want a Ford on his lot. Exactly. Right. So it's a, it's a means of trading inventory, and auction cars only mean they have been through a bidding process. But That's all they the mean. end user, you know, you hear this Carfax, in, right. and they look at the history, they're not going to know that it went to auction, are they? No. So then, what's the point? Here's the one thing that I learned... Um, you know, life is a way of learning things. I learned that I was buying a used car and I looked at the history mm -hmm. and it was a rental car for here. Had 15, a rental car. Okay. Had 15,000 miles on it. Yeah. And I like to joke and reference back and say, that is one car I would never buy. And here's why. Because here's what I've found with rental cars from my personal experience. Mm -hmm. No car goes from zero to 60, or from 60 to zero, faster than a rental car. You get in a car, you take off, you take corners. Well, guess what? I'm not gonna be the person who bought that car from 50 Mike managers over the last year because I, chances are that car's been abused. <laughs> and and I, I will respectfully disagree because rental fleets maintain their cars incredibly well. And the, they typically come to you as a retail buyer with an extended service plan, an extended warranty, some sort of protection for you as the buyer. So if you buy the car and the engine falls out two days later, you're not going to be responsible. Well, that's what it comes down to the plans. All right, well, time is definitely up. Okay. And thank you very much. It My pleasure. It's absolutely been pleasurable. Um, so here we are. We just 
spent a little time talking about buying used cars, buying new cars. Uh, I think this could have gone on for an hour because there's a lot of different things that I would have liked to have you know, discussed. You know, so as we indicated, the, the second largest purchase that we all probably go through other than our home is buying a car. Do you go used? Do you go new? Do you lease? And you know what? It's like almost other, every other financial planning question that is ever asked of me. And the answer is it depends. It depends on the end user. Do you want to buy new? Do you want to buy used? Do you want to buy pre certified pre-owned? Do you want to buy off a, 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 a regular lot? Do you go off of a, a lot from a dealership? You know, it, it all comes down. And is there the month end? Yeah, oftentimes there's month end deals when you go into the dealerships. So, you know, what the heck? You may as well give it a whirl. But, you know, anytime you're doing anything, it's always good to do your research. And that's today's conclusion when it comes to buying cars. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I, I hope everybody had the opportunity to learn something today because, that, once again, that's what it's all about on my show, Financial Planning Explained. And I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner. And I look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week.